Podcast One production. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. And before we kick off the episode, remember, if you have a burning idea that you want Adam to hack into for you, email him healthhacker at themanshake.com.au. Also on his Manshake socials. And I know, Adam, on your website, you're always giving away Manshake packs to people because you're a big lover of our tribe. How are you, Adam, mate? It's good to be in the studio with you. Fantastic to be back, mate. And I uh, hope everyone's been well in lockdown. And uh, yeah, can't wait to uh, give out some more Manshake packs and see people lose that COVID-19 weight. I'm trying to actually lose a bit of COVID. COVID-19 weight. I was doing quite a lot of good calisthenics at home, but I wasn't getting enough of like a, a real pump, right? Gyms are open and oh my God, I went in and I've absolutely screwed myself. <laughs> I've gone too hard and I can't even like lift, I can't get my arms up over my head to shampoo my hair. Adam, that's not a problem for you because you haven't got any, but I've got very long hair. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Oh, exactly, mate. I haven't had that problem for about 20 years now, mate. And so I'll, um, I'll... don't feel too much sympathy for you having to wash them beautiful long locks of yours. But um, yeah. it's very common, very common. My, my mates who are physiotherapists and um, trainers have, have been telling me that they've had a lot of clients and a lot of people um, come to them in the last couple of weeks. Uh, obviously, the trainers first, they've seen an influx of people coming back to the gym. Uh, everyone's biting at the bit to you know, start where they uh, left off. Um, and the physios are just rubbing their hands together. My mate said his business was three times busier than it, than it had been the week before once gyms opened because uh, every lunatic had done exactly what you did, mate. Went in there with uh, big dreams and uh, come out a little bit too sore. Exactly, mate. I called you. I said, Adam, I've, I've done too much. And you went, <laughs> you know what, actually, let's do an episode on it because everyone is going back to the gym now. And I know you're all about sharing hacks for people doing what they're doing every day and gym's a big part of it again. So you are going to go through your top six hacks to bulletproof yourself for the gym. And this is not just getting back into it. This is for your gym routines moving forward. Adam, I love this. I call you with a complaint and you come up with an episode. <laughs> yeah, well, look, being a former professional athlete, you know, working out professionally for 20 years and, and uh, whatnot, I, I had sessions where I obviously hurt myself, sessions where I got too sore, sessions where I didn't warm up properly, didn't do the right things, and as a result, paid a severe consequence. So, you know, I can uh, sympathize with people out there at the moment who are struggling with a little bit too much soreness or people who are a bit scared about getting back into the gym, worrying they might hurt themselves. And, yeah. uh, you know, so it's a really interesting problem people are going to have. So um, I think it's a great uh, episode, this one, and people will really enjoy it. And Adam, also... I think to be really clear is whether you're doing treadmill or very light weights or you are jacked and you're doing heavy weights, it's all relative to whatever your skill level is. So this applies to no matter what you're doing. Okay, Adam, it's day one. You're not Alex. You're a smarter person. You're thinking about going back to the gym. What's hack number one in these top six hacks? Well, it's something that a lot of people don't pay enough attention to, and that's hydration. Um, our bodies are made up of 70% water. Um, recent research has shown that, you know, well over 75% of the population are walking around right now dehydrated. Um, and, you know, water is so important for us on so many different levels for our body, everything from regulating body temperature um, to keeping our immune system robust to lubricating our joints when we do work out um, to helping us recover after a workout through delivering nutrients to the cells to help them repair. And it also helps our um, organs functioning properly while we're working out and after we're working out. And, you know, you need to recover and the key to recovery is sleep and, you know, being hydrated is very important for that as well. Plus, you know, we don't want to walk around all cranky and moody and, you know, not with um, the full capacity of our, our brain. So once again, being dehydrated affects our mental capacity to think fast and also, you know, deteriorates our mood if we're dehydrated. So as athletes, you know, I used to um, always feel sorry for the guy that um, had to collect our urine at every training session at the <laughs> nights and um, at a different professional, um, you know, 
level, whether it's state of origin or, or playing for Australia, the poor trainer's job was to collect all the players you're on. Wouldn't want to collect Joey's. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit yellow from time to time, very dehydrated. <laughs> um, but um, it was pure VB at different times, yeah, I'm sure. But um, um, the, the reality was, you know, they knew that the players were very lazy when it came to hydration because it's something that's such a low-hanging fruit. A lot of people don't respect it the way that um, they should. And um, on average, a lot of players were turning up, you know, just not ready to perform and not ready to train. And, you know, we realized, you know, from a sports science point of view, that just a 2% decrease in hydration levels can lead to a 20% decrease in performance, which is massive at the sporting level, particularly when you're talking about hundreds of a second is the difference between winning a gold medal and not even getting into the finals. So, you know, you put all these hours uh, upon hours in training as a professional athlete and, you know, all you have to do basically is fuel the petrol tank up with water to make sure that the uh, the Ferrari's moving well and yet players didn't do it. So the club bought in penalties of $1,500 fines. Um, and every time that you weren't hydrated, um, you got fined. So, um, yeah, wow. sure enough, um, rugby league players are known to be tight asses. Um, <laughs> there was a lot of guys, you know, lining up to go to the toilet, um, you know, around the clock because they were making sure they were very well hydrated. Hey, this is a weird question, but where do we lose most of our water from? I assume just sweating, but I don't know. I've never asked that before. Yeah, look, physical activity is the main way that we lose um, uh, water. Um, on average, you know, in a day, you, you could lose up to, you know, six litres of water if you're a heavy exerciser. Um, you know, someone that's just a, a sort of, you know, a walker and some of that is some light sort of stuff, you know, a couple of litres of water. So, you know, and then after that, like breathing, just breathing alone, you know, you can lose, you know, over 400 mils of water, nearly half a litre of water, um, which exits from your, your lungs um, when you breathe out. And then, you know, being a bit disgusting, but, um, you know, your, your poop also contains a fair bit of water as well. So you're probably looking at, you know, a can of Coke of fluid that passes out through your uh, back door. So wow. there's a lot of water leaving our bodies. Um, you, you know, it regulates so many functions within our body. It's so important. And um, a lot of people have just got no clue how much water to drink or, or the best way to replenish their, their hydration levels. Um, you know, sometimes people drink water that's too cold and their bodies can't digest it properly. Um, sometimes people drink it too fast. Um, and there's all different types of water out there, bottled water, plastic water, you know, people just don't know where to start. But the simple solution is just making sure that you are getting water on a consistent basis, trying not to gulp it all down at once and just sip it throughout the day. And a great hack is just keeping a, a water bottle on you at all times and, uh, trying to, you know, match up to the, uh, the amount of water you should be taking up, um, in that water bottle. So Adam, what's that key number then? How many litres or milliliters of water should I drink a day? Well, if you're an office worker, you'd probably want to be aiming, a male, probably aiming for at least three litres of water, a female, probably about two and a half. Um, but if you're somebody that's very active, as I touched upon before, you know, you can you can really sweat through a lot of water. So, you know, you'd really want to up it, you know, to four to six litres if you're somebody that exercises really, really heavy. But the best way um, to tell if you're hydrated or not hydrated is to really just look at the colour of your urine when you're going to the toilet. And you want it to basically be as pale as possible. You obviously don't want it to be clear water because that means you've overhydrated and that has its problems in itself. You're flushing out a lot of, you know, the essential minerals and vitamins and stuff that your body needs. Um, so you want to make sure that there's a tiny bit of colour in it, but you just don't want it to look like Joey's urine, which was VB. <laughs> so um, that's my tip for you. All right, Adam, what's hack number two and get myself ready for the gym? Well, everyone's going to love this one. I certainly do. It's caffeinate. Who doesn't love coffee? 
So coffee is, you know, one of the best performance enhancing drugs in the world and it's legal. Um, We rely on it very much. So everybody these days, whether or not you're an office worker or a professional athlete, but the performance improvements that you get from caffeine are are unbelievable considering that it's something that's used every single day by most people. Um, When I was playing professional sport, once again, the the Australian Institute of Sport, when I used to go down there and spend some time with them, um, it was their go-to as far as, you know, ergogenic aids, as far as increasing performance went. So they were really big on the no-dose tablets. Um, obviously they, they felt it was much easier and quicker for our bodies to absorb the no-dose tablets, but recent research has shown that there's no difference between taking a tablet or actually just drinking straight coffee or an energy drink. Um, they all have similar benefits because the benefits is in the actual caffeine. So, you know, on average, a person can expect, you know, a 10% improvement in performance, um, by drinking the right amount of caffeine, um, which is huge. Once again, when you consider, you know, if you just add these two things straight away, you know, you've got hydration can improve performance significantly or stop you from having a deep decreased um, impact on performance. And then you add the caffeine to it where you can get up to a 10% improvement. And all of a sudden, you know, if you're going for a bike ride, you're, you're probably pedaling as fast as Lance Armstrong. So um, it, it just enhances everything. You know, it allows you to push yourself for longer. Um, it allows you to go faster. Um, in the gym, research has shown that, you know, um, participants in studies were able to do more repetitions um, with the same weight. And in actual fact, they were able to increase their weight as well. So it just doesn't have an effect on endurance. It has a great impact on strength and power as well. A lot of people just don't understand how caffeine works as such. But when we get tired, um, a chemical called adenosine binds to the receptors in our brains, Alex. And um, what caffeine does is it's a very similar structure to adenosine. Um, and it competes with adenosine caffeine for those receptors in our brains. Um, and it stops our brains from being told that they're tired. Um, so this is really, really important. So it really starves off the feelings, particularly the cognitive feelings of fatigue. And, you know, a lot of the time when you're performing exercise, it's that little voice in your head that's telling you you're tired as well. So it takes away these adenosine receptors and it allows them to uh, be bound up so that um, you don't feel tired and all of a sudden you can push yourself much harder. So it's really cool how just something as simple as a cup of coffee can really um, give you a boost in performance like this. Hey, Adam, actually you mentioned earlier that you got to have the right amount of caffeine to get the extra performance. So I assume under or over caffeinated will have the adverse effects. So what is that right amount? <laughs> I've seen it happen plenty of times, particularly, you know, in professional sports with athletes I've worked with and even myself over the years. I remember, you know, we used to think more was better sometimes. And, you know, you'd yeah. see some guys like scoff down like six or eight nodos in the dressing room before they ran out. And then all of a sudden they had like the jitters and they couldn't even catch the ball and they were just everything was moving too fast. So, um, the AIS, when we were working with them, they always, you know, start off with a smaller dose and just build up your tolerance to see, you know, what was that nice area for you. Um, for all you geeks out there like me who like numbers on average, you're looking about, you know, anywhere from three to six milligrams per kilo body weight. So for example, someone out there that's say a hundred kilos, ideally I'd start at about 300 milligrams of caffeine. Now, what does that equate to? Well, an average coffee, you know, has probably got about, you know, uh, about 80 grams of, of caffeine to 100 grams of, of caffeine in it. So if you're getting a double shot, you're, you're probably looking at 200 milligrams. So it's a um, it's a triple shot um, espresso, um, and that'll definitely put some hairs on your chest, Alex, Jeez. and make sure that your brain's firing and um, you're ready to go. All right. That's way more than I thought. Good to know. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> okay. Hack number two was caffeinate. Adam, what's hack number three? Have a plan, Alex. How many people go to the gym and oh, just turn up and do their best? You've just called, <laughs> called me out. I, I go in there every time, and I either do the same thing every time, and then I get bored and go, I'm just going to do all this other stuff, and I, I have no idea what I'm doing. I actually don't know how to plan for, I've never thought of that. I don't know how to plan for a gym session. Yeah, what do you do? 
Well, it's a great question because a lot of people just go in there and you don't have a plan where you're planning to fail. And uh, you know, it's been shown time and time again with research that um, people that don't go into the gyms with a structured workout plan um, usually overtrain because they don't think they're doing enough. And that's mm. where the problems arose recently with the COVID um, come back to the gym is most people are going in there feeling fresh, you know, feeling enthusiastic or pumped up and motivated. And because they don't have a plan, they just lose track of how much they're actually doing. Um, you know, I've kept a diary of every single workout I've ever done from the age of 17 and I'm still doing that to this day. So I can always go back and look at what I did when I got really? hurt or look at what I did when I got sick. And, you know, because it's all about, you know, making sure that you've got some history um, and to see how you're progressing as well. So it really stops overtraining. Research has shown this. And if your goal is to build muscle, for example, the last thing you want to do is going to the gym and just because the treadmill's free, jump on that and start running for an hour because, you know, doing cardio is not really going to help you achieve your goal, which is building muscle. So, and we know the importance of goals. We've done um, episodes on it before if you haven't listened to them episodes. Um, but, you know, you're 42% more likely to achieve your goal if you write them down. The power of goals is unbelievable. The power of the subconscious mind, the power of manifestation um, is so powerful in our lives. And we don't realize that until we actually study it. So my my advice to you is really set a goal about, you know, what you want to achieve and have a plan. So go in there and say, okay, I'm going to do X amount of sets. I'm going to do X amount of reps. And these are the exercises I'm going to do. Hey, on that as well, actually, I know we've done episodes on building muscle, but is there an optimal amount of like time or reps or a workout session I could do? Because I was talking to this bloke and he goes, mate, I go to the gym three hours a day, like legit three hours a day, he gets up at four in the morning and he trains till seven and he's on the cross train. And I said to him, have you ever heard of HIIT workouts, buddy? Like, and, and you know, bless him. He just doesn't know any different. What's like an optimal weight session time before we're t- too fatigued? Yeah, look, it's going to vary from person to person with training experience and age. And and when you're a beginner, you can basically go in and do bugger all and you're going to elicitate gains. So it's easy to get gains when you first start working out. And that's probably why there's so many workout programs out there that for a lot of people are going to be ineffective if they've got some training history. But the reality is, is that, you know, you can uh, get anyone to do something as ridiculous as standing on one leg and, you know, pulling a band on one arm and then curling with the other arm. And they're going to elicitate some sort of muscle growth to start with because their bodies are very adaptable. Right. Alex, the, the greatest story I've heard about uh, constant adaptation and overload is uh, Milo, the story where as a little boy, he picked up a baby little calf and then as it grew into a huge, big bull, he was able to lift it up because every single day he was picking that that, that bull up um, as it grew bigger and bigger on a daily basis. So his body was able to adapt and overcome accommodating resistance every workout. The resistance was was increasing and that that's the key to getting gains as you become more experienced in the gym is not doing more, but actually increasing the intensity. Um, or increasing the load. But doing three hours is going to cause a lot of uh, hormonal issues as far as cortisol goes. It's going to break down muscle cortisol and training for that long is certainly going to put you in a a catabolic state, which essentially means your body is self-eating itself, the muscles. Um, So you really want to keep your workouts really precise and, and basically the minimal effective dose is what we're always looking for, particularly as health hackers. We want to find out what's the minimum amount that we have to do to get the best gains. The Health Hacker with Adam McDougall. Okay, Adam, what's hack number four on bulletproofing yourself for the gym? Alex, my fourth tip is greasing the groove. In other words, warming up. What do you mean by stretching? Is that what you mean? Certainly not. That's the last thing you actually want to do before you work out. And the the reason that a lot of people think that you should stretch was probably Jane Fonda back in the 80s when she had them nice leggings and uh, she was doing aerobics. But um, oh. as professional athletes, 
the last thing, you know, we, we were told to do was actually do static stretching. Uh, we did a lot of mobility stuff. Um, and when we were in the gym, we did what we called greasing the groove, which is essentially the movement that we wanted to do as our workout, but doing it at a low intensity, not going right down into a full squat to start with, but just easing our body into that range of motion that w- was required for that exercise. So for example, you know, before we went out in the football field, we'd do some slow running drills, we'd do some jogs, and then we'd slowly build up, just try and get the body perspirating, trying to move that oxygen throughout the body to make sure that uh, the muscle groups uh, had enough oxygen also to increase the, the body temperature, which will reduce uh, the chances for muscle and tendon injuries because they need blood flow. Um, and, you know, you need their muscles to be really warm to contract as hard as they can and quickly. So this um, idea of stretching actually overstretches a muscle and it makes the muscle protect itself by actually getting tighter. No. So you can imagine the hamstrings, right? You drop down before you go for a run and, you know, you do 10 toe touches, for example. And what that is actually doing is sending a s- signal to your central nervous system in the body saying, hang on, I'm under threat here. Um, no. I'm trying to be overstretched. <laughs> so it causes little micro tears in their muscles, which actually then causes the nervous system to tighten up that muscle and protect itself. And, you know, as soon as then you go to stretch out, the muscle's tighter and it's not as loose and it's not as as fast. So Charlie Francis, the great sprint coach, used to say, you know, a tight muscle is a weak muscle. And he was certainly right. That I'm absolutely blown away. That has flipped everything on its head because forever and a day I've always thought, when do, do, do I stretch before? Do I, just, do I stretch afterwards? So you're telling me don't stretch before, mimic the exercise you're about to do, which totally plays into having a plan. Because if I know the exercise I'm about to do in my plan at the gym, I can then go and do a few light ones of that. Let's say, for example, doing a push up on my knees before I do like a bench press or something like that, right? Might be a good example. Yeah. 100%. And starting with an empty bar, you know, Luke Borogenic, the Australian weightlifting coach who I was fortunate enough to, to do some work under, wouldn't allow us to put any weights on the bar for months, you know, when you trained under him. Amazing. So we're professional athletes and here we are lifting just a bar month yeah. on month. And yeah. it was a little bit frustrating, but once I become older and wiser, I understood the, the, the sense behind it. And then, you know, when you go into the gym, you know, particularly as you get older as well and you've got joint problems, you know, you've really got to be careful and um, you only get one set of joints. They don't repair themselves particularly well. So if you're going to go in and do bench press, for example, make sure that, you know, you're really warming up nicely. Um, you're doing, you know, lots of light repetitions, getting that blood flow going, not to the point of exhaustion. I used to argue with the trainers a lot on the football field, but you might uh, go to an NRL game. You see some of these teams out on the field for like 30, 40 minutes before they run out into the field, go sit back in the dressing room, call back down and run out and play again. Um, it's just people trying to justify their jobs, but, um, yeah. it's, it's really interesting how, you know, you, you can overcook yourself in warm ups too. I now see when I go to the gym from time to time, people rolling around on rollers and doing all these activations and, you know, they're really you know, taking 30 or 40 minutes to warm up, which is ridiculous, you know, and you don't need that. So the minimal effective dose is just to pick the exercises that you're going to do, which obviously have high risk, like a squat, a lunge, a hinge, um, a push or whatever it may be, and start to actually go through that functional movement and uh, really grease the groove as much as you can. So when you actually put weight on and you progress, um, you're ready to go. Another little hack is, for example, if you're you're training um, your quadricep muscles, really warm up uh, the opposite muscle that contributes to, to the performance of that muscle. So for example, your quadriceps are really helped by your glutes and your hamstring muscles, the opposite side of the body. So what you can do before your squat is actually do a lot of um, hamstring curls. Um, you can do some glute bridges and this will really fire up their muscles as well. And uh, it'll even load the quadricep muscles up more because these other muscles, which help lifting squats, for example, which are the hamstrings and uh, glutes, will put more force than on the quads to do more of the work because they're under a little bit of fatigue already. Absolutely fascinating. So my other follow-up question is, is stretching then just not required at all? Or should I stretch after my workout then? 
Look, some people feel a benefit from it psychological. The, the research is is debating whether or not it helps or not. Um, look, really? for me, I, I think, um, you know, I like stretching. I, I find it something that's very relaxing. Um, you know, that the hold really is the key. So how long you can hold a stretch for is, is really important for the body and the nervous system to adapt to that position. Um, a lot of people argue after you stretch, you should then go and do an activity as well to actually instill that, that, that movement back into your central nervous system so your body understands what it's like to move with that that more range of motion that you've just undertaken. Oh, so that's cool. for example, if you've, you know, done some hamstring stretching, you know, it, it's recommended that you actually go and then, you know, move around, you know, using that uh, extra length in them hamstrings. I, I think um, warming down is something we don't talk about too much. I, I think, um, you know, just going home straight after the gym, you can find yourself um, a little bit fired up. So something I like to do to warm down is actually just go up against the wall, put my legs up on the wall, um, making sure my legs are above my heart. And what will happen is the blood will then pull back down um, towards the heart and it'll help my my body recover. So all of a sudden the blood's flowing better throughout the body. And I do some deep breathing to really kick back in my parasympathetic nervous system. So we know that when we're training, we're very aroused, very much in a state of sympathetic fight or flight. What I tend to do before I walk back in the door at the end of my my training session is I put my legs up against the wall and I allow the blood to flow back through the body and do some deep breathing to try and bring my parasympathetic nervous system back online. Fascinating stuff, Adam. Okay, so Adam, we've greased the groove by doing a few of the motions that we're going to do in the workout. When we're doing the workout, is that your next hack? Like we haven't even actually done a workout yet. No, you haven't done a workout yet, but, um, you know, if you do these things, like I said, they take a couple of seconds, like drinking water, you know, do it throughout the day before you actually go work out. You know, who doesn't love a, a social cup of coffee, you know, 45 minutes to 90 minutes before your workout is the best time. Um, you know, who doesn't have five minutes to, to warm up properly and just do light movements and, and really grease the groove and get the body fired up to go. Um, but my next one is you want your workouts to be fun and nothing elicitates more fun as far as I'm concerned in the gym than music. Um, you know, at the nights and in different teams, I played with Wendell Saylor was one of the best at it. He'd walk in, you know, with a, a big ghetto blaster on his shoulder and we'd be pumping out the tunes in the dressing room. <laughs> Blake's would be dancing and laughing and, you know, music is such a good distraction for people. It, it really, you know, masks a lot of pain and fatigue. It, it increases your mood. Um, you know, research shown time and time again, people are able to push themselves longer because it increases endurance. Um, and, and, you know, it just makes working out fun. So, you know, you, you want to run faster or, you know, ride your bike for longer or, or you know, just lift more weights without even realizing it. Well, you know, pump up the tunes. It's such a, a powerful tool that a lot of people don't realize. So Adam, though, what type of music should I be listening to? I'm assuming it's kind of like something that emulates the intensity of the workout I'm trying to do, right? Mate, go Alex. That's exactly right. You know, a lot of people, um, you know, sometimes uh, don't pick the right type of music. And, uh, you know, for example, before we ran out on the sporting field, the sports psychologist used to always say to us to actually listen to stuff that was more classical type music, um, Beethoven, um, you know, stuff like that, that which really relaxed your body. Because the reality was you're running out into combat ready to, to you know, be violent. And the last thing that you want to do was be over aroused before you ran out into the field. Uh, your body knew what it was in for, so it didn't need to pump itself up. Um, but a lot of us, you know, have big days at work. We've got kids that don't sleep too well, like me at the moment, two kids in the bed every night. Um, and it's, you know, you're dragging your backside to the gym and you've really got nothing left until that caffeine hits your body. And then you need that extra kick in the workout when you start to get a bit tired. And, you know, playing something that's classical or, you know, some sobby love tunes aren't going to cut it. So you want to find music that basically mimics um, the same sort of beat that the workout's going to go towards. So, you know, they're, they're finding music that, you know, really matches that that sort of beat of about 160 beats a minute is really, um, is what you're looking for. And that's something, you know, realistically, that's a hip hop music or, um, which is the most popular, Alex. A lot of people love their hip hop music um, and pop music. So you're trying to find, a, a, you know, an upbeat sort of tune to go to. 
Okay, Adam, and hack number six in bulletproofing yourself for the gym, what is it? Pump up the protein, Alex. So, um, you know, you're going to see a lot of uh, gym junkies tell you that after they, they hit the gym, uh, the first thing they do is refuel on the protein. And uh, there's a reason for that because protein is what helps your body recover from the exercise and rebuild itself. Um, as we touched upon earlier with the story of Milo, um, you're not actually growing muscle while you're in the gym. You actually start to grow muscle as a result of the stress that the, the, the workout causes on the muscles. And then the muscles and the nervous system have to go away and remodel themselves because of the damage of the exercise. So the exercise causes little tears in the muscles and microtraumas. And the muscles then need to become stronger. So the next time you step back in the gym, they don't want to become injured again. So the protein is so important for this process, which is basically cleaning up the mess that you've made in the gym and allows the bodies to rebuild themselves. Um, Adam, and is there an optimal time that we should have protein after the workout? That's what you're saying, right? Have it after the workout. So is, is there a time that we should have it? Like, is it an hour after or is it just sometime within the, the next 12 hours? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question, Alex. So carbohydrates, if um, people aren't aware, but they're non-essential. So our bodies can actually convert um, protein and fat into energy, um, which is the the main role that carbohydrates play in our body is the fact that they're there to provide instant energy for the body, uh, fuel. Um, fats and protein are there for, for cells. They're there for rebuilding muscle. Um, um, you know, you name it, protein and fats play a huge role in, in basically our body, body structure. Um, so you, you don't really particularly need carbohydrates in your diet, whereas protein, you can't get away with not having it. That's why there's things called essential amino acids. And these essential amino acids, you can't get, um, you know, from anything other than food sources. Um, so it's very important that uh, you give your body the building blocks it needs to repair itself from weights. And that's where protein's important. Now, there's an argument that, um, you know, some people will say in some research studies show that, you know, having protein straight after your workout, they used to call it the anabolic window where they used to say you had half an hour oh, I remember that. Um, yeah. after your workout um, to, you know, scoff down a, a big protein shake or, you know, pump up your, your body um, to recover from that workout. But um, this has been dispelled largely. Um, some more recent research of late, which I'm really interested in, is actually showing that there is a slight advantage to having some protein um, in pulses. So having smaller servings of protein more often and more frequent, because as I said, protein is something that you just don't eat once and then, you know, can not worry about it for a week. You know, in essence, you know, your body turns it over pretty quickly. So they've found that, you know, short pulses of protein is better than trying to digest, you know, an 80 gram serving of protein out of a steak or something that's really hard to digest. So my, my suggestion would to play it safe would be to make sure that you are having protein before you train and then having a small serve of protein, particularly after you train as well, just to cover all your bases. Because like I said, the research is so conflicting, Alex. It's really hard to get a read on how much of an advantage you do get from eating protein post-workout. But I do believe there's a slight advantage um, to having protein straight after your workout. Look, don't stress if you're, you know, you're eating an hour after your workout or half an hour. It's not really going to make a huge difference. But I think having that that protein in smaller serves is much better for you than trying to um, you know, smash down you know, 16 egg whites after you train. Yeah, and short version is just get it into your diet at some point. Hey, and also it reminds yep. me of um, a comment we got recently on the podcast. And thanks for your comments on the podcast app. Keep them coming through. Also got five stars in this one from Skinbin. Thank you so much. He says, can you drink the man shake as a protein shake after you've been working out? And I know you spend a lot of time choosing the right protein that goes in your shakes, Adam. So can I use it like that as well? 
Yeah, look, that's an interesting thing. There's a lot of nutritional supplements out there that target themselves to people's needs, you know, under the false premise that they've got some unique proposition that will, you know, miraculously make your muscles bigger after a workout. Like, you know, WPI, whey protein isolate, for example, is a real fast acting um, protein that a lot of, you know, bodybuilders have, have lent towards after they train. Then they use a caseinate um, before they go to bed because it's a slow releasing protein. Um, but the man shake contains all three types of um, digestible proteins, you know, so that's what we've done. We've tried to get a fast acting protein in there, a medium acting protein and a slow release protein as well. Um, because like I said, the research shows that it's the pulsing of protein, which is the most important thing. So if you have all bases covered in one, you, you really can't go wrong. So you have that shake before you train, um, you're going to get great results. You have it after you train, you're going to get great results because you've got the three types of protein in there. So, you know, don't overthink um, things like protein shakes too much. Um, like I've touched on before, make sure that they're Australian source. That, that would probably be the most important thing I can recommend to people. Um, and try and get one that's tested and has been validated to contain the amount of protein that it has. Um, it's, it's pretty damn scary, Alex, when you look at the statistics around, you know, when these protein powders are tested, that they hardly have anywhere near the ingredients in them that they say on the label, or they don't even have anywhere near the amount of protein. So uh, make sure you do your research and pick one that's been validated and, and been universally tested like our product has been, and then you'll be able to, to rest assured that you're uh, not uh, just drinking chalk. <laughs> Adam, those six hacks are absolutely fascinating. It's hydrate, caffeinate, have a plan, which blow my mind. I've never actually thought about that before. Grease the groove, pump up the tunes, fuel up on protein. Don't get hung up too much. After is probably better, but as long as you're getting into your diet. Adam, I'm looking forward to the next episode of Health Hacker. Always a pleasure, Alex. And don't forget, if you want us to hack into a topic for you, leave a comment like Skinbin did on the Health Hacker podcast or email Adam Healthhacker at themanshake.com.au or hit him up on his Manshake socials. And of course, he's always got great giveaways for packs on the website. Head to themanshake.com.au. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Health Hacker was created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Written and presented by Adam McDougall. Produced and presented by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. To listen to more episodes, search Health Hacker Podcast. Listen for free at podcast1australia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.